They mostly come at night. Mostly. This place sure is creepy at night. It's even creepy during the day. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's a type of one good scare. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Whatever you do, don't fall. in a second floor guest room filled with tall ales and taller tales. Join a group of grown men intent on discussing the intricacies of fantasy and science fiction. Tim Gilbert Media presents Don't Just That We! Got it right to the back of our Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. Enough, I get the point. They are not men, they are dead bodies. Dead? Zombies, the living dead. Look at me, Damien. Dissolving oil slicks and dark romances about coitus with sanguinous nymphets. This is the Dungeons and Dweebs Podcast, Halloween Spooktacular, Part 2. I'm your hellish host, Bob, a.k.a. Berbereth. And we're here tonight to review stories that would even send chills up David S. Pumpkin's spine, man. And the poetry... Part of it. But I'm not alone. Across the table from me, he's come here to chew bubblegum and review literature. And he's all out of bubblegum. It's Luke. I, I, I don't know if I like that comparison. I like I like that phrase, but you've showed me clips from that movie. And, oh, you cannot. They, no, live. they Live is awesome. They Live is a great movie. Yeah. I have come to kick butt and chew bubblegum. Yeah, that's and <laughs> great lines. And out of bubblegum. <laughs> Wait, Spooktacular Part well, our second spooktacular. The second spooktacular, yeah, where we're here to kind of dig deep, get some scary pieces yes. of literature out there. Little, little chunks, little short stories. Wait, little it's, it's Halloween. Let's let's kick this off. To my left, we both had to crawl out of the crypt to make it to this recording session. It's Glob. <laughs> Greetings, my little ghoulies. All Hallows Eve is once again upon us. Candy and parties where the strange jello shots flow like congealed blood. <laughs> It's time to dress up and get rip-roaring pumpkin spice Oktoberfest drunk with ladies dressed up like 80s icons with their big hair and bangs that touch the ceiling fan. <laughs> oh, wait. Uncle Clob lives in a small town in the Midwest. It's a typical Saturday night. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Across the table from me, she's a newcomer to the panel. Like April O'Neil, a possible voice of reason to our teenage turtle antics. Adding a bit of gender equity like Carol Danvers, she'll hopefully save our male-dominated Avengers universe. I'll do my best. I'm still not over Infinity War. Save us, Captain Marvel. 
Please welcome to the Dungeons and Dweebs, Shannon. How are you on this dark and stormy evening? Well, I am fine, and I have to say it is truly scary to be here, especially on Halloween. Yes, So I'll do my part, I'll do what I can, and um, I'm actually kind of excited. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think in a a large part, we're doing Halloween Spooktacular, too, because of you, Shannon. Really? Yeah. I mean, you had said that there were some scary books that Mm -hmm. you thought we should... We should review, and we said, hey, well, let's do a Halloween Spooktacular 2, and why not invite you in? Sweet. <laughs> yes, one of my favorites, the one that I was thinking of, is is The Boogeyman. It all started from The Boogeyman, mm-hmm. yeah. This is actually, I have never read any Stephen King until this. Seriously? You're kidding. Wow. What? Oh, my gosh. A, a newbie. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's just a, never any. A virgin, if you will. <laughs> so on this, <laughs> so it's Sowie Neve. We get to sacrifice you at the end of the show. <laughs> no, I'm no, no longer a virgin. <laughs> well, if horror movies have taught us anything, now that you're no longer a virgin, you're for sure going to die. Absolutely. <laughs> Dang it. Well, the moon is riding high out there. Uh, I, I hear trick-or-treaters already starting to make the rounds, and the mm-hmm. lights are out upstairs, but it's dark down here. Should we make our way to the fridge quick, grab a couple? Let's go up there. I got some nice Oktoberfest for our Halloween to go on spookily. The steeples are white in the wild moonlight, and the trees have a silver glare. Past chimneys high see the vampires fly, and harpies of the upper air that flutter and laugh and stare. For the village dead to the moon outspread never shone in the sunset's gleam, but grew out of the deep that the dead years keep where rivers of the madness stream down the gulfs into a pit of a dream. A chill wind weaves through the rows of sheaves in the meadows that shimmer pale, and comes to the twine where the headstones shine and the ghouls of the churchyard wail for harvests that fly and fail. Not a breath of the strange gray gods of change that tore from the past its own could quicken this hour, when the spectral power spreads sleep over the cosmic throne and looses the vast unknown. So here again stretch the veil and plain that moon's long-forgotten saw, and the dead leap gay in the pallid ray sprung out of the tomb's black maw to shake the world with awe. And all that the morn shall great forlorn, the ugliness in the past of rose where thick rise the stones and brick, shall someday with the rest and the brood with the shades of the unblessed. Then wild in the dark, let the lemurs bark, and the leprous spires ascend. For new and old alike, in the fold of horror and death are penned, for the hounds of time to rend. All right, everyone. Let's bring it to something that sure will send a chill up anybody's spine. Zabuki man. <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? Zabuki man. Uh, well, the boogeyman. <laughs> That's yeah. not how I visualize his, his voice at all. At all. But we are. I don't, I don't know. I don't think you guys. You guys would get the reference. But I. I maybe some of the younger listeners. I, all I saw was old Greg. I don't know if you guys know who that is. No. Mm-hmm. It's illuminate. Who's um, old Greg? He drinks Bailey's from a shoe. Uh, it was just a, a funny dude. Um, on what was the show? Uh, the Mighty Boosh. 
And oh. he just like he came out of the lake and he had seaweed all over him. I don't even He's know like, what a mighty boosh. I was gonna say I know <laughs> there were words there, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Some old. I don't think that was on laughing. Uh, well, in, in in America anyway, it was on on Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. Anyway, Back moving, the, moving on. The day. There are people out there. I, I, this is real. This is real, you guys. <laughs> hey, oh, you know what I'm talking about. If you want to tell us that Luke's not just making stuff up and having an aneurysm again, <laughs> get on our I Facebook can. page and tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here on this uh, All Hallows Eve to start off with uh, something I think that we, we've all been scared of since we were kids. Uh, what's in the closet with this first short story by Stephen King, The Boogeyman? And I will say, Tim Burton has ruined me for this because all I see, all I saw when I read the title here is the uh, is the boogeyman from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> mm, that was a good boogeyman. Oh, yeah. It was a good boogeyman. It's a decent but just, boogeyman. Just the sack with like stuff coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was first published in March of 1973 in an issue of the magazine Cavalier. It was a men's magazine. I don't know. Um, and was later collected in, of course, the classic 1978 collection Night Shift, which no bookshelf should be without. Oh, Absolutely. that's a phenomenal collection. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to throw it over to you, Shannon. Shannon, you are the one who got us going on this with The Boogeyman. So why did this book resonate with you so much the first time you read it? The first time I read this, I was probably a tween, you know, seventh grader, sixth grader, around there. And um, the movie Gremlins, when I saw that oh, in fourth grade, kind of yeah. creeped me out Yikes. about things that could be coming out of the closet. That right. one scared me. So I was, maybe I was an easy scare. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm reading Stephen King, and the way he um, the way he maybe over-explains, he's very wordy, his books yes. are very thick and very um, intimidating. Yes, they are. <laughs> but his collection of short stories were very easy to read. So when I read this, I was picturing the boogeyman, and his explanation and, and the way he goes into all the details of his his characters and or his um, situations which could po- never possibly happen right but yet he makes it really um, real like this actually could happen right like I- absolutely not but you know, I'm yeah. kind of creeped out. I mean, <laughs> Stephen King, a lot of his, I mean, the the stuff I've read has mainly been stuff that movies have been based on. You know, I'll see the movie. And and like you, Shannon, when I was a, a kid, I remember the first time a kid sitting next to me had a copy of, I think it was The Stand or Tommy. I think it was The Stand in his hand. And he was reading it. And, I mean, it's just massive. Like, it was this, it was this soft cover that was just a massive tome. I remember looking over and asking him, so The Stand, what is this about? And him explaining it to me and I thought oh yeah I, I gotta get into that kind of stuff and so I remember reading that and It and Tommy Knockers and Christine and if there's one thing that's really odd Tommy Knockers? The Tommy yes. Knockers Tommy Knockers yep. yeah okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just an odd title. In a I, weird, think, I don't think that's one I haven't read. Uh, made it yeah. made into a weird Bronson Pichot miniseries. <laughs> yeah, on TV. Yeah. On I remember. I remember watching like running home uh, like Sunday, uh, like getting off, uh, like playing with friends and stuff, and being like, "We gotta, we gotta get home because Tommy Knockers is on." And not Did Stephen it was King write Dreamcatcher. Yes. yes. Okay. That I I haven't read it, but that is one of my favorite movies. Ever. Oh, really? Yes. Really love yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah, but uh, again, well, to what you were saying, Shannon, about him making things that are maybe not believable, 
believable. Like Christine is about a possessed car. And it sounds, when you explain the premise to people, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But the book is really good. The movie, half good. Well, I mean, and, <laughs> right, right, right. And when you look at, when you look at the collections like Night Shift, and uh, I mean, there's just such great stuff in there from, right. you know, Sometimes They Come Back, Lawnmower Man, Quitters, Inc., all those ones that just kind of almost become classic minutiae. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Although the Lawnmower movie. Man, nothing. like The, the, <laughs> the story Lawnmower Man is bizarre. <laughs> I love the story. I love the lawnmower man yeah, story. That yeah. was one of my favorite. That was one of my favorite. With the guy, with the guy uh, eating the lawn, mm-hmm. he's Pan or something. I still don't even understand that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, w- and what you said, he he does over-explain things, but it's written so well that it doesn't like. I feel like we've read stuff on this podcast where stuff gets over-explained, and I just, I end up getting like stuck in it. Like it doesn't. The words aren't smooth, and I. It's done very well. You know what? I well, feel I, like we are the Stephen King of podcasts. We just <laughs> over-explain. We're wordy. Keep talking. Take t- too talking. long. <laughs> but like the boogie- there is someone out there laughing at it. I don't. <laughs> yes. I hope. But, but, but like the Boogeyman story itself too. There's stuff that's intentionally not explained. Right. I mean, we never really get a good description of the narrator. No, the, or, not at all. Or, or, excuse me, the guy, the guy who's talking about killing people. Right. We never, we never really get a good description of the guy on the couch in the shrinks office. Right, because I feel like then that you can place yourself in exactly into mm-hmm. that character's state, which is great. So, uh, our story opens in the office of one Doctor Harper, a psychiatrist, and like you said, there is this guy who's, you know, smoke chain smoking cigarettes and and explaining this horrible thing that's happened to him. And right? it's kind of hard to like him. Oh, yes. He's, oh, very. He, you kind of, you know, and, and yet you want to feel some empathy mm. for for a dad. Right. And, boy, it's tough. He's just, oh, he's just don't a, really like a, him. A woman-beating no, racist. Like. He is, <laughs> well, I feel he's part of that 1970s dark uh, protagonist. I mean, a lot in movies you had a lot of this going on where the protagonist is, is yeah, I'm not very forward-thinking and come, when it comes Close-minded. to women. Close-minded. Close-minded. Yeah. But, uh... You wouldn't Stephen, want to wake up your son's a sissy. Yeah, Stephen <laughs> King likes to do this. He likes to portray that kind of small-minded, small-town mm-hmm. America is what he, okay. a lot of times in his books, he, he, he goes off of that kind of podunk kind of feel. <laughs> you know, maybe that's his highbrow East Coastness. He did move around, I guess, as a kid. His father left him? Uh, what I read is that his, his father, like, they were young mm-hmm. and said, like, uh, I'm going to the store for cigarettes and just never came back. <laughs> and so him and his mom moved around a lot. His family moved around a lot. And he, he was in Wisconsin and all over. Maybe, you know, his kind of reflection or view on kind of, uh, you know, men. Maybe maybe mm. this is in some ways a reflection on his dad. I don't know. Sure. Could be. Yeah. Um, but anyway, his, his children have been murdered, right? His first two children, he said, died in a crib death of com- and convulsions mm-hmm. when they were left alone. We do get one of my favorite names I've ever read. It's Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl? Cheryl. Yeah. My daughter, Cheryl. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I laughed. But both of them cried out Boogeyman before being left alone. And I remember that at first, uh, I was primed for some sort of flip at the end of this book. So as I'm reading this, I'm going, okay... So he oh yeah, like like he's really going to be the murderer. He is the boogeyman. Kind of I thing. thought he yeah. was going to be the boogeyman. He was really the murderer. And I mean, this is it's starting to again, like you said, stretch reality. Where you're going, okay, how are the cops still letting him? Mm. How is right. he not getting caught right. for this? That frustration. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they're, why they're, don't you see this? Yeah, right. like they're almost like looking for like, oh no, it's just crib death. 
You're fine, dude. <laughs> no, no, it's my fault. No, it's grim death. You're cool. See you later. Well, yeah, and, and yeah. if you look at other Stephen King stuff, like you said, you're expecting the flip. I'm expecting like some something like you know, like Stephen King's Secret Window to come out, where <laughs> it was his alternate personality all the time. Mm, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Right. And this has caused a lot of strain on their relationship. I mean, you get this really kind of, I feel a realistic portrayal of a relationship. Of people that you know that hopefully you aren't, you know, like like you, you know, like you know the those last people that are leaving the bars. <laughs> you're I'll, like that is totally their relationship. I'll, I'll, it's, okay, it's okay, Bob. It's okay. I know your wife occasionally listens to the show. I'll speak up as the divorced guy on the show. Yes, it's a strained relationship. It's very accurate for a strained relationship. <laughs> but but I get the feeling though, as this goes on, I think at first I was with you, Shannon, that I I felt like this uh, I. Did not like him at all, and I don't know that I ever do. But I do feel like he does love both his wife and his children, especially his third child. As well, this yes. stuff starts happening, yep. I think this is a this is an intentional naming thing done by Stephen King too. This is an intentional naming condition. He names the dude Lester. Mm. Have you Lester? Have, have, so explain. Um, <laughs> the, the, guy's, oh, le- the dad. I'm yeah, sorry. the dad's, I, I name, the his, like, dad's name is Lester Billings. It's just it's an uncomfortable thing to say with that many consonants in your mouth. <laughs> okay, so, you're so it makes you you're automatically preconditioned anytime you have like a lot of hard consonants in a mm. in, a, in a first name. Oh, that they're they themselves are character wise harsh. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. I've never thought about that. My subconscious was fooled. Yeah. Stephen King, you wily devil, you. <laughs> it's, it's okay, Bob. Yeah, I know. Harsh. No, I feel like I'm a fun Oreo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Anyway. Um, even after, though, these t- two of his children have died, they have this third, mm-hmm. right? But then, and they've moved around, but yet this still happens right so well and bob you have kids shannon you have kids there are there are those times when you know kids are of a certain age that you're just like shut up and go to sleep (laughs) there's nothing in your closet there's nothing in your closet shut up and go to sleep i I want to go to bed i have to go to work i need a beer i need something just go away right yeah right (laughs) one thing i was how how scary did you find this piece i mean i was primed for kind of something horrific and especially with the name Boogeyman. Boogeyman. You wanted to jump scare someone? I, yeah, I was. I wanted to feel real creeped out. And um, for me, I don't know how creeped out I was mm. as much as I was. Um, Not until the third kid died. The descriptions on that were that's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, oh, they God. were. Weren't yeah. they? And, I, and it was just, it was just you, sad. You could picture it, and it was frustrating because mm. it happened again. And oh, yeah. yeah. So was and that, as a parent, and as a parent, you'd look at that. I mean, that that that's your worst fear when your oh, kids God. are that age. Yeah. yeah. Too, and also it's. You guys probably had these moments too, where something's gone on in the middle of the night with your kid, yeah, and it becomes the creepiest thing in the world, right? Like your kid mumbles in its sleep, or mm-hmm. um, I remember when my when my son was when my son was very little and he had like the toys where the batteries would die. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like in the, oh, God. so like in the middle of the night, something so all of a sudden I'd get up to go have a glass of milk or something from the fridge in the middle of the night, and I'd walk through the living room, and all of a sudden from the toy box. Do you want to play a game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's you know what's unbelievably creepy coming out of a closet is the sound of a dying Zuzu pet. Oh my just, god! Just oh my god. god. Yes. When the batteries are dying on a Zuzu pet, you're like, what is that? What is coming out of that closet? Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I agree. Where the boy is found on the floor with a broken neck. Uh, well, just how closet. the sound is described too. Yeah, I mean that's I, you know living in a, a northern state like. 
the the ice cracking on a lake like that's I, I can hear that right. like, uh, it is an eerie sound right. yes but I love what, I mean again the police are just like almost giving him the alibi yeah. like oh, I'm sure he just uh, fell out of his crib and snapped right. his neck like yeah. that happens all the time <laughs> well it was a different time it was yeah. the seventies exactly yeah um, and I think that is King's uh, portrayal too of talking about you know some of the things from the fifties sixties seventies on you know how life w- went then dad got up oh, yeah. and went dad got up and went to work yep. kid didn't really interact with the kids a lot of times too right. much uh, except when something horrific right. happened. And King has a fascination with the 50s. In fact, almost sometimes where it's weirdly, he's throwing greasers into stories that are in the 70s and 80s. And you're like, well, there would not be, like, high school kids aren't greasers anymore. At that time. <laughs> yeah. That's actually sometimes they, sometimes they come back. Another sometimes, story from this book. Yeah, another I, story from this collection. Exactly. Where the you know greasers what? show up in, like, the 70s high school. Yeah, right. Hey, you know what, kid? You're a square. <laughs> <laughs> you're a, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, well, you're a rhombus. Um, but anyway, um, don't deck a heat drink. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> as we're as we're getting towards the end of this scene, we find oh, uh, Billings finishing his story and starting to leave, and Harper. I, I liked when the psychiatrist is coming back to him, almost like bringing him back to reality. Like, yeah. no, your kids are dead, and you just have this misplaced guilt, and we're going to work through it, and you're going to be fine. Right. And I, I, I really liked that. I liked where it was going. Like, no, dude, there's no boogeyman. Chill the heck out. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. But I enjoyed the foreshadowing when um, the children, when the was it the last one was saying closet or or he the um, Lester thought they were saying claws because he thought for oh, sure yes. it was the claws because oh, yeah. he had seen the shadow when he was sleeping in the living room. Right. He didn't want to sleep upstairs in the bedroom with the with the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dr. Harper, you know, started saying, well. Were, was the child saying closet? Yeah. Is it closet? Yeah, right. And uh, yeah. I was like, hmm. And it does, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, no clue yet. Yeah. And But yet again, he, he leaves his child alone. After everything that's happened, we'll leave the, his child alone in the crib. I'm like, why are you? Because then the, then the boogeyman will go for the child. Yeah. He says that. Yeah. It's, he's kind of, in a way, sacrificing his child. Which well, is, and, yeah. it, and, and when we finally get to the third kid and he sees the weird, inhuman creature that we don't, again, we don't really get a description of. Which, so, is, which is effective. Which I is like very Which effective. happens all the time when you walk through a shady house and, yeah. and the, you shouldn't the see lights it. are off and, and you might see a little shadow. Yep, it which I be, think what's what's in your mind is always better than a full-on description. So I li- mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that. That's well, and and, and and then he just pieces out and goes to a diner. Yeah, and like it makes us it makes us not like him even <laughs> oh, more. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Wouldn't yes. you try to do something for your kid that's yeah. being eat- even if your kid's already dead? Aren't you going to do something for your kid that's being gnawed on by this <laughs> creature? Oh, yeah, nah, right. I'm just going to go. No, no, I'm just right. going to go down to Sally's and yeah. get a burger. Yeah. 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 I need a, I need I another need pack of old golds. I need old golds right now. Not American spirits. Not not no. These people don't smoke American spirits. Old golds, a grand slam, and a couple cups of coffee. Let's go to Denny's. But anyway, um, (laughs) Harper recommends that he make an appointment with the nurse to further the discussion. And when he gets to the lobby, the nurse is gone and Billings returns into the psychiatrist's office, finding it empty as well with the closet door just slightly ajar. I thought it was a door. (laughs) 
Uh, but Billing hears a voice from the closet as it swings open, and he finds himself face to face with the boogeyman. Thoughts on this ending? What do you think? Ooh. So the psychologist was the boogeyman. I just Ooh. have this weird picture of like the boogeyman in the closet, like just holding up like the psychiatrist suit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. So it's just like it's just like 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 the coverall suit, like those Halloween costumes we all had when we were little kids. Right. Yeah. Where it's oh, just yeah. like the plastic with, <laughs> over with, just with no rubber bones band. or anything like a rubber band. So my question here, uh, when I first read this, I always think of Stephen King so much in the eighties. Like I think of him as such an eighties writer, even though he did a lot in the 70s, early, late 60s. Um, but I'm already thinking like, oh man, this is such an 80s reference, right? Because psychiatrists were just run through the ringer in the 80s. It was not a good time to be a psychologist. And every movie made fun of him, every song. I'm like, this, this, one, is, I'm I like, this is King's commentary on the boogeyman, and the, or on psychologists being the boogeyman, creating fears in children. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't oh but wait, this is the wow. 70s. Wow, that was deep. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's what I thought it was, because <laughs> You have a lot of these murder just, cases just, where, like, psychologists would bring things from children that weren't reality. They would mm. just talk them into, yeah, your parents abused you and this happened and that. So I, I thought, oh, the, the true boogeyman is the psychologist. It was just too, like, Scooby-Doo for me. Like, oh, like, I'm the boogeyman the whole yeah, time. Right. <laughs> right. Pull the mask yes. off. Yeah. I, I would have much rather... I'm, I'm just, I, I liked all of it except for those like last three sentences. So I'm just mm. gonna pretend that never happened. Or at least open the closet and have him like, no, have the boogeyman killing the psychologist. Yeah, like, no, it's, it's not, right. it's not the, the psychologist's mask, it's his head or something. Like, it's, he's just following uh, Billings around, just killing everybody. <laughs> yeah. And he is attached to him. And does the, yeah. is, does the boogeyman well, just did. enjoy sitting there hearing stories about himself? Yeah. Is, is the boogeyman narcissistic? I think he is. Absolutely. <laughs> tell me what I did last night. I want to <laughs> I'll tell you what I did last night. How, how scared <laughs> were you? <laughs> the last three words, the spade claw hand, that uh, really gave oh, that me a was, picture. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, yeah, the, the whole holding the mask, the rubber mask, I was like, ooh. Yeah. But then the spade claw hand, I was like, ooh, yeah, because yeah. that's creepy. That You could see that wrapping itself around that closet door. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, giving you pictures for what to see coming out of your closet door. Yeah. Which is just. Yeah. Awful. So that is Stephen King's The Boogeyman. But, oh, we've got more from the master of horror. Um, Zeraft. So, so folks, jump onto our Facebook page, um, look at the ad, and on the bottom, tell us about your boogeyman. Tell us if you're from out of the United States, give us a little, like, Dutch boogeyman story or something like that. Or, you know, or those of you in Australia, you know, the evil kangaroo that lives in your closet or whatever. (laughs) It's got to be an echidna. I'm, I'm guessing an echidna yeah, yeah, would be yeah. super evil. <laughs> His spade-like quills. <laughs> Sticking up large eyes. <laughs> well, I just, just came out of bush and I was looking and there in the closet came an echidna. <laughs> Dun- Dungeons and Dweebs does not support uh, Bob's impression of Australian people. <laughs> I don't feel that that can be in any way misconstrued as being mean spirited towards Australians since I happen to like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. One of my friends is Australian. It's cool. Is it, it's cool. Is I it, watched Crocodile Dundee growing up. It, I wanted. To I was him. just going to say, is it wrong that I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't a new Crocodile Dundee movie that was going to come out? It was just a tourism thing with uh, the dude from Eastbound and Down. Oh really? I didn't. I don't know. Anything oh, about this. I would have loved that. <laughs> All right. So our second Stephen King story of the night uh, is the raft. Ooh. Yeah. So actually, a little bit of backstory here. The raft um, was was not what it was originally called. 
Uh, it was originally titled The Float, and it was mm. published in Atom Magazine. I, I need to look that up. I don't know what Atom Magazine is. A-T-O-M or A-D-A-M? A-D-A-M. Oh. Atom, and it was called The Float. Uh, but it's kind of a nice, in, in terms of uh, if you're a Stephen King fan, it says, uh, a short time after King was arrested in the town of Orono, Maine, for removing a number of traffic cones from the street <laughs> after one of them had damaged his car. <laughs> so I'm like picturing just... A belligerent Stephen King, just like all in black in some sort of like stretch black curse. Curmudgingly. <laughs> throwing throwing cones. Yeah, exactly. So he was unable to pay a $250 fine from the court. And luckily, uh, he was about to be jailed for 30 days when his first payment ever for the float arrived in the mail. Wow. And he was able to pay off his... His debt. Cool. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of great. But um, I don't. In retrospect, would the raft be able to pay off anybody's debt? Um, so thoughts on this book? Um, it's from the 1985 collection. We're moving up to Skeleton Crew, a second book that better be on everybody's shelf. Fantastic mm. uh, collection. For me, this is probably one of the weaker entries. Uh, but we just kind of we picked it because we thought, hey, end of summer. What, we live in northern climates, and I felt like this story definitely... How many of you went and watched the movie? I saw the movie before I read the, yeah, read the Creep story. Creep Show 2. Creep yep. Show 2, that. Which, by the way, Creep Show, highly recommend. Watch Creep Show. Uh, I don't know if they're all of that quality. I don't know that no, I really Creep, want to Creep show, <laughs> Creep show is great, and, okay. it, and, it, and it was through a regular studio, and then they didn't have the money... Because uh, Creepshow created a cult following, but didn't have the money to really get a Creepshow 2 done. So it bounced to, I can't remember what the name of the studio is, that schlock studio that cranks out all those low-budget things. And so they had no money to do anything. Mm. And we'll, we'll talk, let's yeah, talk yeah, yeah. Uh, when we're done, let's talk about uh, the Creepshow 2 version of this. But the book version, uh, we've got four college students named Randy, Deke, Rachel, and Laverne. Could you get more stereotypical 70s kids? I love this. Mm. This yeah. is this is like this is like a horror movie, a like slasher movie distilled into a bottle. This is like proto slasher yeah. movie <laughs> where you've got the like the 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 drunk dope smoking kids. I mean, the one guy's even named Randy. Yeah. <laughs> we, we took all 80s horror movies, put it in a pot, and reduced it down into this. Yeah. And, well, but this was way before any of those. I mean, this would have been published okay. in 69. Okay. So, I mean, he is Deke. he's creating the template. Deke. Deke. <laughs> right? Which, they have this really weird thing of going... I mean, we should say Randy and Deke have this back and forth where they're always like, calling, hey, Poncho. Yeah. <laughs> what... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get it. I don't know. It's just I think it's just a quick shorthand way of saying that these guys are close. They have like kind of a relationship going. They're good friends. It's like saying chief or bud or friend or you know that 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 that, that that thing they do now where they were that thing that the kids do now where they're like, well, hello, friend. Well, I always call you Pooks. You do. (laughs) You do. So you know if we're gonna go. Compared to like Bud or Friend, I like Poncho better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. bring that back. We're gonna bring back. What's up, Poncho? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, they decide to go swimming on a wooden raft on a remote Pennsylvania lake to celebrate the end of summer. Um, Randy, okay, I love these descriptions. Randy is burlesque and Deke is ballet. <laughs> it's all that's, lo- uh, uh, that's lost on me. I, I don't know what that yeah. means. Um, again, I, know, I know it's dancing. Did you go <laughs> to um, Did you go to uh, Absinthe when you were in Vegas? No. Okay, I was gonna say because that's burlesque. Well, I, I know what burlesque <laughs> okay. is. I know what ballet is, but 
But Randy is like your big football player, right? Right. Randy's a little greedy. He's a little dirty. Yeah. So I think you're supposed to get that. Randy is this big macho, tough guy, um, and and Deke. Actually, it's it's just the opposite. Deke is the jock. Did I get it wrong? And Randy's the one, the skinny one with glasses. Way to go, Poncho. Oh, no, Poncho. Come on, Poncho. (laughs) Why would you name the skinny one Randy? (laughs) Because he's Randy. (laughs) <laughs> well, I got that one all wrong. Yeah, I was. I, yeah. I I'm thought sorry. I was I meant, in the wrong I'm, place. I swapped them. I'm sorry. You did. Yep. Oh well. That's okay. Good call. We'll leave it in. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming, Shane. All right. Just, just, just to <laughs> yeah. make sure nobody else is confused. Yeah. Like well, thank, th- see, you are here to straighten us up. Mm-hmm. See, you should have been in throughout all the Dragonlands. Maybe we'd have a different view on Tannis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Deke's the one who unbuckled his pants and took him off running, and Randy couldn't couldn't quite. Oh, uh, Rand- he had okay. to stop and like hop around and take it off of one foot. Mm. So, mm. Which, do you kind of get the feeling here, too, regardless of who's named what? Um, <laughs> would these guys be friends? I, I, we, get, we do get the feeling that they're close, but right. the, the character descriptions are like, no, this is high school. Yeah. Would these guys they, really they hang had, out? They had to have been friends, like, since they were little. Well, yeah, I, yeah I'd go back to that uh, same description, that just, you know, okay, so Deke is the one sitting around with all, you know, all the friends and and for some for some reason maybe it was an early uh, part of school or they've been friends the whole time. Mom, mom, well, they're, they're mom made us hang out together. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're college roommates, and Deke is the jock with the scholarship. Right, and Randy is his roommate. Right, and okay. maybe maybe Deke is using Randy as the brain. You know, they kind of help each other well, out. Yeah, he does his work for him. Do, yeah, yeah. I, you get kind of that picture. But I don't know if we're meant to psychoanalyze them yeah. too much. Okay. They're just going swimming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're going to listen to some music, and they're going to be uh, smoking and, and driving down there. But I like this because for, for at least for me, and probably for you guys uh, living in kind of the northern climates, uh, every lake has like one of these floating rafts mm. sitting on yep. there, you know. And even the idea of it's the end of summer, they're going to pull everything in, like the docks have been pulled in, everything's pulled in, um, and this for some reason is just still the Water's cold. There. The water's cold. Yeah. yeah, this is exactly how it would be. Hey, 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 guys, guys! I think that oil slick's following us. <laughs> yeah. So they sw- <laughs> they're swimming out to the raft in the middle of the lake, and, and so Randy. I, I did. I watched the movie first. And this whole thing, like, man, they're, they're obsessed with oil slicks. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randy notices a mysterious uh, oil slick-like substance floating on the surface that appears to go after the girls as they reach the raft. But, again, aren't we told, I think it's the the book, right, that Randy uh, had done some sort of That's sci- movie too. scientific thing. Around, they went around. like rescued birds from an oil spill or something. Yeah, yeah. so he oh, okay. knows about yep. oil spills, and that so that sets up that hey, this character just thinks it's a weird oil slick. Just stay out, away from it, right? Um, but anyway, they get up onto the onto the uh, the raft, mm-hmm. um, and there's a remark made, which this is is not in the movie version. Okay. Is that the the oil slick has like colors? That scintillate off of it and kind of have oh, like yeah, no, a no, in, in, the, in the movie, it's like a tarp floating on top of it. <laughs> With a like, mesmerizing tarp. Yeah. With yes. black foam For some peanuts. reason, it's very mesmerizing. It. Yeah. <laughs> With but foam it does, peanuts. It does give us this. It does. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. King does give us a great description here of the colors and then. Damn it, Rachel. <laughs> it's the pretty colors. I'm going to touch the pretty colors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She reaches out, touches it, and. <laughs> Yeah, suck, and they'll watch her die horrifically. Yeah, I, I love the description here of her awful, like melting, mm-hmm. and it's oozing up around her, and 
melting her skin. Can you imagine being, you know, are they naked? That was always my first thought too. I don't, like, I don't know. I, I, I talked mean, about ripping your pants because it talked about running up with the pants. I'm like, just standing there. But I mean, you're still, even if you're wearing a swimsuit, yeah. you're still exposed. I'm assuming they're in their underwear. Underwear. I think they're in their underwear. But yeah. you're, you're, you're you know, just, for... you're exposed. And then to watch the girl melt in front of you. Yeah. Which in the movie, <laughs> the one girl swimming in a giant, like, hoodie or sweatshirt. Sweatshirt. Yeah. That's just <laughs> like, nobody would swim in that. Like, <laughs> no. The water's cold. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, not yeah. gonna help. It's not a waterworks. That's not how any of this works. Um, but I actually, I'm really glad that King changed the name of this uh, from the float to the raft because the float is stupid. Uh, but the <laughs> the raft gives you this idea then of refuge, right? And now all of a sudden they're stranded, and this raft becomes their refuge. And now they know that that thing is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that's not evident in the movie is that this thing in the book is pretty fast. Uh, it moves uh, kind of incredibly fast, and it's keeping them there. So they don't know what to do um, as they're trapped there. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be ter- like freezing cold, stuck there. Yeah, it really paints it. And they, then they start talking about how, well, nobody knows where we went. We didn't tell anybody. Um, it's at the end of this really long deserted road. Nobody's going to come down. They pulled all the docks in until they finally come back to pull in this raft. Nobody's even going to be coming out here. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts to paint in just a couple pages uh, quite the... Desperation oh, yeah. for these guys. Yeah, and then that, then uh, then our, our our oil slick creek creature starts going like all hypno toad on them. <laughs> wow, 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 wow! And they yeah. start like getting. Oh God, I'm dizzy from looking at it. Oh, I almost fell off the raft. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that. Stop looking at it. Right, good looking after the first one. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so the iridescent uh, surface of the creature hypnotizes and disorients them. It disorients them into almost falling off the raft. Uh, kind of multiple times, it keeps it keeps doing that, right? And so eventually, they learn to like look away from it. But after a while, the creature squeezes under the raft, mm-hmm. and Deke decides that he could make a swim to the shore. But as he prepares to jump into the lake. The creature oozes up through two of the boards and grabs him by his foot. This I love this part of both the movie. Yeah, that was done really yeah, well. It was that, done well. It, it was so. Creepy. It made me Very grossed creepy. out uh, in the because I had watched seen the movie before reading this as well, and so I remember just this scene of this jock getting just pulled down through the boards. But if there was one difference, clarify for me because mm-hmm. I I get the two mixed up. Um, in the movie, it kind of breaks the boards as it's ripping him down, and his like leg like flips up. Yeah, yeah that's, really I, that's what I remember. His leg is sticking straight yeah, up at his, and at his nose. Naked, and it's just awful looking. <laughs> but um, I, I felt like when reading this, it was wrapping up him and dissolving him and pulling him just through between the Between the boards, yes. Yeah. Between the cracks and the boards. So that as he's pulled through, like in the movie, all that's left is his ring. His, his class ring is left up on the thing but I think in this book like it's just dissolving him and pulling him bottom and it takes all while night while he's conscious yeah you know, like they, takes hours or something yes. to do it in the book it's it's much worse and then all the, the blood gets pushed up into the torso and finally yeah, yeah. the pressure it's really yeah, gross really <laughs> gross it's, the book is way more gruesome yeah, than yeah. just watching that yeah yeah uh, so it leaves me with this like really disgusting Disgusting feeling. Um, so De- Deke decides, uh, well, I mean, he was going to swim for the shore, and now he can't. So now we're down. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, he now, he's dead. now he can't. Yeah, now he's dead. So Randy. So we just got Randy with the lead And Laverne, uh, which watch helplessly as he's slowly pulled through. So, yeah, I mean, how disturbing this whole thing is. It says, 
A moment later, Deke raised his head, looked around groggily, and opened his mouth. Randy thought he meant to scream again. Instead, he vomited a great jet of blood, so thick it was almost solid. Both Randy and Laverne were splattered with its warmth, and she began to scream again, hoarsely now. Ugh, she cried, and her face twisted in a half-mad revulsion. Ugh, blood, ugh, and she rubbed at herself and only succeeded in smearing it around. And then it goes on into this description of pretty much him exploding into a just disturbing sack of blood and gush. Well, that's pretty much what we are. (laughs) (laughs) Just for it. Just Just a bag of water. Yeah. So um, Laverne faints uh, and Randy fights to maintain his sanity and contemplates swimming to shore while the creature is busy eating Deke, but finds that he can't do so. And so he lays her down, uh, and here's where I think the book extends this out a bit, but both the book and the movie play this weird, <laughs> and I don't know what I think about either one. <laughs> I I got to this point, and I know I think I know where you're going here. I got to this point, and I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in this, I've done some weird stuff in my life, but I don't think after seeing my two friends get eaten. Putrefied. Putrefied. <laughs> sprayed with their blood. <laughs> sprayed with sprayed. their blood. So Poncho's blood just got... <laughs> you just got Poncho's hey, blood all over you. Hey, you want to have sex? <laughs> and, and they do. So in the book, let's clarify, in the book it's like consensual where like the fear just makes them Aroused, like it's this weird thing where they're well, ho- and they're warm, well, and, they're and their warm- bodies yeah, are touching. They're holding each other, and then yeah, they he becomes aroused, and they just start going at it. Which then, <laughs> still, which but, 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 yeah, but no, there is I a know. creature, ooze creature, <laughs> in the lake, and. She, you just saw your friend get yanked through the boards, and then you're gonna lay her and down have, on the boards. <laughs> and you haven't you haven't rinsed the blood off that you got sprayed on because no. it didn't go near the water. It even says she smeared it around on herself. I mean, it's really weird. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for keeping warm, but oh, <laughs> so, that's not how you rub sticks together to plus start it's a cold. fire. So it's the end of summer. It's co- it's cold. Right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the ooze monster, like we know, comes up, grabs her, and grabs her by the hair. hair. Oh, because as they're having sex, as yeah. they're having, you know, coitus, coitus. <laughs> Children, as they're as they're banging their way off the raft, her hair falls over the side. Yeah, and it's just like, and so the ooze creature comes up and grabs her by the hair, and I'm just going, does that make him part of it? Yeah, like <laughs> I don't know. Like, would you not be aware of this? Like, I'm thinking of times in my life. If there was an ooze monster, I might get carried away a little bit. But once her head is pushing over the side of the raft, I'd be like, hey, let's I'll bring you back on the raft here. <laughs> like I Huddle up. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's no, get, I, I, take her back to standing position. I, I thought I thought in the movie, like, I, I didn't get any of that weird vibe from it. I yeah. thought, like, they had just been, like sitting up weird all night and he was sore so he just like let her lay down but then in the movie it's weird because it instead little, of playing it a little consensual rapey. he's he's no, molesting her is that what he's doing yeah, yeah. She's, she's just sleeping like out of and he's whatever. like quietly trying he's to like, like can oh, i cop a feel you know? on yeah. this rap well if you're gonna die what a way to go well, and then, <laughs> but what Jeez. a great view in the movie it's a great scene because she's like starts screaming you don't see the side of the yeah. face that's against the, the raft and she pulls it away and, and it's, it's just yeah eating her face oh, it's and awful that, and the description in the book here too is like she, he, he like kicks her he like 
gets off of her and yeah. then like kicks her over the side. Kicks her over I'm the like, side. Yep. Wow. Which okay, at this point in the book, I thought, well, he's gonna jump in and Absolutely, swim. Absolutely, because mm. he had contemplated it prior. Yeah. And isn't it in the book they kind of mention that when it once it's eaten somebody, it seems to get kind of it sits there, it's kind of lethargic a little bit or whatever, doesn't do as much. Like, well, he's gonna swim for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He ends up committing suicide. Into right, like he right. like yes, he in just the book. yeah. He's oh, hopeless yeah. in the book. He's hopeless. He stares into it. The lights. He starts, lets it mesmerize him. Yeah, starts singing which is it. A, which is a good way to go. I mean, it seems like there's some sort of neurological thing that happens where you just let yourself fall into it, and it's mm-hmm. okay. Um, in the movie, that's not what happens. He swims for he it. Swims he kicks her it. off. Swims for it. Makes it to shore. You think he made it? Yeah, and yeah. jumps. Yeah, that was cool. Probably the best best effect of that. Mm, Eighty. It covers him like 80. a blanket, like a Co- big black oil blanket. Yeah, and then pulls you get back in. you get the pull away shot of the giant tarp just floating <laughs> through the water. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so so that is the raft. I don't know, thoughts. Last minute thoughts on that one. Do, um, I still understand why they had. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a it's a hang 'em up again. I think it's his. Well, his name's Randy. Um, <laughs> or yeah. depending on foreshadowing. Your, foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing. What's happening? Was it his first time? Um, I don't. I don't know like, what's well. going on. But again, I think it's just um, Stephen King kind of throwing. Again, I'll throw this out as like kind of a proto '80s slasher movie where you just have you know that kind of idea of young teens doing really although these are college age kids but mm. just not doing teen. logical things just doing you know teen teeny, things. teeny yeah. stuff uh, and not thinking <laughs> start two friends get eaten <laughs> wanna have sex <laughs> <laughs> club can't let her go I can't. <laughs> Uh, neither, neither could the oil slick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but man, all of the, all of this talk of water and and liquid has made me thirsty. So, and I'm I'm looking pretty empty here. So, I have some Halloween Jello shots upstairs. <laughs> all right, ooh, ooh, have we been handing those out to the kids? Because I just I put a Wait. whole tin of stuff out Wait. on the front porch. You didn't put the orange one. You only put the red ones out there, right? Not the orange ones. I put the orange one. Oh, we, better, we better go get that. Oh. Let's go. <laughs> Fifteen men, no losses. All in the drunk. Was I that had it? Was it? Was I that had? To face the storm with nothing inside to keep me. Hoover Agency, we go. Where the four ones go. Hey! Hey, Dale! Hey. You gonna ale or no? Some stronger, perhaps some rum. Lass, let me tell you a story. There is a lake in distance on Beyond the wanted haunts of man Where broods alone in a hideous state A spirit dead and desolate A spirit ancient and unholy Heavy with fearsome melancholy Which from the waters dull and dense Draws vapors cursed with pestilence 
Around the banks a mire of clay Sprawl things offensive in decay And curious birds that reach that shore Are seen by mortals nevermore Here shines by day the searing sun On glassy wastes beheld by none And here by night pale moonbeams flow Into the deeps that yawn below In nightmares only is it told What seems beneath those beams unfold What seems too old for human sight Lies sunken there in endless night For in those depths there only pace The shadows of a voiceless race One midnight, redolent of ill, I saw the lake asleeping still, while in the lurid sky there rode a gibbous moon that glowed and glowed. I saw the stretching marshy shore and the foul things those marshes bore. Lizards and snakes convulsed and dying, ravens and vampires petrifying. Ulvies hovered o'er the dead, narcophagi that on them fed. And as the dreadful moon climbed high, frightening the stars from out the sky, I saw the lake's dull water glow till sunken things appeared below. There shone unnumbered fathoms down the towers of a forgotten town. The tarnished domes and mossy walls We tangled spirals and empty halls Deserted fanes and vaults of dread And streets of gold and coveted These I beheld and I saw beside A horde of shapeless shadows glide A noxious horde which to my glancing Moving in a hideous dance Round slimy sepulchres that lay Beside a nervous traveled way Straight from those tombs a heavying rose That vexed the water's dull repose While lethal shades of upper space Howled at the moon's sardonic face Then sank the lake within its bed Sucked down the caverns of the dead Till from the reeking new script Earth curled foated fumes of noisome birth about the city nigh uncovered, the monstrous dancing shadows hovered, when lo, there oped with sudden stir the portal of each sepulchre. No ear may learn, no tongue may tell, what nameless horror then befell. I see that lake, that moon a-grin, that city and all things within. Waking, I pray that on that shore, the nightmare lake will sink no more. All right, and we're back again. We are all, all our drinks are filled. Jello shots all accounted for. Yes. Oof, oof. Man, that, what did you think of that little kid dressed up like Jeffrey Dahmer? I thought that was weird. A little weird. Uh, I mean, you know, kind of in the spirit of Halloween, but... Mm. Love the details. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, Tim carrying that little lamp. I th- I'm pretty sure that was parchment paper, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I, do, I do have to bring this up because I was actually at a Halloween party last night. I was at a Halloween party at the bar that I work at last night. And this dude comes in and he comes in and it just looks like he's in a very cool... It was a very cool looking old army uniform. 
Yeah. And so he's, it's an old art, gray army officer uniform. And he comes in and he gets a drink. And then he goes and sits by himself. And you look, and then we all turn at one point and look at him and realize he's wearing a Nazi SS uniform. Questionable. Swastika's the little lightning bolts and all. Wow. Has his one little drink. And then he gets up and walks out the door without talking to anybody. Wow! <laughs> it was just like um, he was a ghost. I'm all about I'm all about you know dressing up for Halloween. I'm all about <laughs> costuming. However, that might have been a little inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we take the go. swastikas off. Maybe. In, yeah, yeah. If they would have been Hydra soldier heads. Yeah, there you go. I don't might know. have been cool. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Nah, woof. Lines. But then I was a pregnant <laughs> nun one year. <laughs> yeah, just, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Were you actually pregnant at the time? I was not. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was oh. not. That would have made it even funnier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're into we're going to get into Rattle of Bones mm. by Robert E. Howard. Yeah, first published in Weird Tales in June of 1929. And again, uh, we we did Robert E. Howard last year, um, and he has got some great characters, right? I big, mean, this big fan, big big fan. big fan. I mean, he's 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 done Conan, right? I mean, he's the creator of Conan, uh, Solomon Kane, all. Uh, stuff that people know uh, from culture out there, but he was never published in any meaningful way, really, in life. I mean, he'd always, you know, just little short stories that would appear in usually weird tales, those little pulp magazines. But here again, um, one of his short tales for tonight: Rattle of Bones. And Solomon Kane, um, we're not going to get a, a bunch of descriptions about him here, so we should kind of throw him out mm-hmm. there. Solomon Kane, he's this like Puritan, mm-hmm. right? This Puritan traveler. So uh, you know, in my mind, he looks kind of like a pilgrim. You know, if you if you really quickly Google image search Solomon Kane, you're going to get a lot of cool pictures of him. There was a movie that came out in 2009. It's not the best, and mm-hmm. I don't think it does Solomon Kane any justice. And what a uh, what book did you offer to us for this? Like, what was this? Del, Del Rey. If Del you Rey. look up the Del Rey versions of all of Robert E. Howard's stuff, mm. has little illustrations. That's, 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 the il- little illustrations on this were amazing. Yeah, um, they use comic artists to come in and kind of blow these things out a little bit. And um, I highly recommend everything. Like, they've done everything from that Robert E. Howard has ever produced. There's probably maybe 10, 12 books in the series. Man, uh, if you're into this stuff, you should get them all because they've really done a phenomenal job, including, like, fragments, like things they found in his treasure chest of undone writings. There's just little fragments that oh, are cool. at the end of all these books. It's really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, Solomon Cain, right, is this, I guess you would call him... Um, Van Helsing. Yeah, I would yes. say he's very much a that, Van that was, Helsing. When you finished that sentence, I was yeah. going to say he reminds me of Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I would say, you know, Van Helsing's look, I think, in our modern sensibilities, mm. definitely, I think, comes from Solomon Kane in a lot of ways. Yes. You know? um, so kind of a vampire hunter, witch hunter. Um, I don't know. Again, in this book, I don't think we're going to get the, the true idea of him. Um, he is a, an extremely morally centered kind of mm-hmm. character where he's super religious, very Puritan, but at the same time is constantly confronted with like devilry yes. and demon, demonology. And so he's always kind of having to battle against the forces of evil. So, And this is a much different story than the previous Solomon Cain story we did last year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, a lot, lot less. Skull in the stars and yes. the left hand of doom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's. He's just like in between 
awesome adventures right now. Yeah, ex- yeah, I do feel like this is a very short one. Um, it's one of the last short Solomon Kane ones. I won't lie, I think it's the weakest of all of the mm. Solomon Kane short stories. But it was the last one for us to do, really. Yes. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get it done. So we we open with two travelers approaching a tavern again, just like in the last tale that we had done of them. Um, it's all made of logs, and the sign above the door shows a cleft skull, which I like. Um, and so our two characters are Solomon Kane and Gaston Lamont. Gaston. Gaston Lamont. Gaston Lamont. And I know, just I'm conditioned from Howard. Whenever there's a French character, he's going to be bad. Oh, yes. yeah. He, he's, yeah. He's never good. Um, you're like, oh, Gaston. Well, he's bad. I'm, and it's not yeah. just because I watched Beauty and the Beast as a kid that I'm primed to think a guy named well, Gaston. This is, this is very much that 20s, 30s mentality, too, of... Oh, yeah. You know, very stereotypical French. Oh, yes. Uh, he's kind of a, you know, he, he kind of comes off a little bit as kind of a dandy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and foppish. Foppish. <laughs> and he's got, and <clears throat> Howard does a very good job, I think, to hear of writing his French ex- accent. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so you get, you do get the, oh, I'm French, my name is Gaston Lamont. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is that to you? Yeah, I mean, we're, we we even have, like, he sets them up, he, oh, I'm going to use it, juxtaposition mm-hmm. uh, of of Solomon Cain, we are, is described as tall and gaunt. Like, you get a description that is very kind of pallid and there's no accoutrement to him whatsoever. Whereas then, uh, when he just, Grabs Gaston, it's all he's bedecked with mm-hmm. lace and feathers. Oh yeah, it's the puffy shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's the puffy shirt. It's the fancy sword, and you do get the feeling from Solomon Kane right away too, where it's like, oh god, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll let him walk with me. Right. Um, again, the, we're not beating around the bush here. We are met by this thickly bearded host with seemingly red eyes, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. <laughs> Pretty much any bartender, I, every any bar owner I've ever met has red eyes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's like, do we get many guests here? No, not many. <laughs> None that stay twice. Yeah, right. Um, so again, we instantly get this eerie kind of mm-hmm. feeling. Um, but Solomon Kane is not liking the looks of any of this as they are shown to their room, and so he wants to bar the door so that he's not murdered during the night. I- I will. I will say too. I want to bring up here. What was your image of the the cleft skull tavern? Because I think oh, with yeah. a lot of things we see, and um, you know, I watched you know too many too much late night TV <laughs> of send money to these doctors that are fixing children in Africa or whatever. So it took me a while to go. Oh no, cleft like it's chopped in the head. You were thinking not, like yeah. the cleft palate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, how are you putting that on a sign with a skull? How does a skull have a cleft palate? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> in a way, it looked like uh, what's his name? Um, Iron Maiden. What's the name of the, the third guy? Eddie. Eddie. It looked like Eddie, Eddie from Iron Maiden. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, <laughs> so there we go. But he sleeps with a pistol in his hand because he's he's worried. He knows something's up. Sol- our Solomon Kane uh, is a smart, smart. He ain't no dummy. Yeah. So the two, uh, but they end up uh, hearing some. Something during the night. I, I didn't really catch this. Um, well, I thought, I I thought they were just uh, out looking for a bar for their door. Yeah. And then they stumbled that's, upon... That's what it is. ...the right. secret room. Yeah. It shows signs of a struggle. Um, yes. Yeah. And then there is a secret door revealing even a smaller room where there's a human skeleton chained to the floor. Um, and 
Inexplicably, Larmont hacks through the leg to free it. Because it's a waste of a good chain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're driving down the road and you see a bungee cord. Do you stop and get it? Because I do. <laughs> you also stop for roadkill. So let's not talk about that. It's <laughs> the one time. Just that one time. I needed quills. <laughs> So, anyway, so, yeah, so, yeah, hey. If, if we're going to, I'll be clob here and I'll bring it back to D&D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're out adventuring and there's a perfectly good chain. That is true. That you need, yeah. Being wasted on a dead body. So, Larmon is being a good campaigner. Good adventurer. Good adventurer right now. Right. Yeah, and maybe you could use it. I mean, self-defense. Yeah. There's a lot you can do with a chain. I've seen Ninja Turtles use it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, Kane turns to leave and feels the cold steel of a pistol against the base of his skull. <laughs> uh, so, I love you. Yeah. The Frenchman is, is bad. He's yeah, turns out he's like some murderer. Gaston the Butcher. The Butcher. <laughs> the Butcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but Kane says that he, he had seen him in Calais some years mm-hmm. gone by. Yeah, and there was a drop line before about, like, I've seen you, but I don't know where. Yeah, yeah. So it, it this, paints is where, this is where he puts it all together. Right, right. Um, and this is where we get the title of our book, Rattle of Bones. Uh, Lamont hears, hears something, and Kane says, hey, it's a rattle of bones. What's going on? Well, he, he says it's just rats gnawing at the skeleton. Yeah. Um, but Gaston uh, unarms. Un- Disarms. 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 Yeah. Uh, Solomon Kane. Unarming. He still has his arms. He still has his arms. And that's it. All of his weapons are gone. Um, And then, there's something behind Gaston, and it's the uh, owner. Yeah, yeah. The Frenchman reaches the doorway, and the host appears and brings a cutlass down on him. Yes. I, um, I love and cleft and his skull. Cleft his skull and drops him like an ox. Yeah, his, yeah. Brain, his brains or what little little amount of brains there were spilled out or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, if there's one thing that uh, Howard can do well, it's the descriptions of um, battle. Mm-hmm. And, and and things that are very visceral. I think I said this last time, but he is a very kind of gritty, muddy, visceral kind of writer where, uh, I mean, just thinking of a person dropping the, to their knees like a felled ox. Like, mm-hmm. he starts to paint, uses animal imagery on humans, which seems to make it all the more kind of icky in mm-hmm. some ways to, to read about it. Oh, yeah, yeah we have this, and we have this quick moment here where Cain goes... To like le- leap at the host too, or as he's as the host is concentrating on Gaston, and the the host is quick enough that he all of a sudden has a gun in his face. Yeah, right. Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so the host says he was tortured by a Russian magician, but he killed him and had him chained in the room. Um, the host uh, is now an enemy to all men. Yes, insane. But yeah. the host backs into the secret room, and the skeleton of the sorcerer breaks his neck. Finger bones sunk deep into his chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, kind of a disturbing image. Very. Going very. I, I like that story, though. Um, yeah. You know, the skeleton was chained up for a reason because it was a sorcerer's skeleton. And yeah. They're even more evil in death. Hey, we're Dungeons & Dweebs, so is this, a, is this a thing? Can the sorcerers reanimate their dead corpses in D&D? Doubt it. <laughs> no, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your character's daddy's if dead. If your DM wants yeah, it yeah, to happen. The DM could have. 
Okay, so DMs out there. Here we go. Rattle yes, of bones rattle scenario. Bones. Yes, channel it into your your worlds. <laughs> and, uh, and that's pretty much it. It's cool. A, a I'm glad they. So you said you liked this one, Luke? I right? did. I yeah. really did. Yeah. yeah. I but I, I you know I I think I like all of the this whole Solomon Kane universe. Right. Yeah. And again, we picked a, a, a real short one. Mm-hmm. I think if we were to go back to Solomon Kane, we would uh, pick some of his longer stuff. Now yes. there's a lot of. of a little bit longer. Uh, I, they're still short stories, mm-hmm. but uh, they are fantastic. So if we ever return to Solomon Kane, uh, we have read the least of his writings. Ah, okay. uh, there's much better stuff that that we need to tackle at some point. But anyway, uh, reading about finger bones being sunk into the neck and everything. Oh, that's that's just awful. But I I hear the doorbell ringing, Luke. I'm not I'm not getting it. The... Luke doesn't have a doorbell. What? I really don't. Then what was that? Oh, God. (laughs) One slept beneath the branches dim, cloaked in the crawling mist, and Richard Grenville came to him and plucked him by the wrist. No night wind shook the forest deep where the shadows of doom were spread. And Solomon Cain awoke from sleep and looked upon the dead. He spake in wonder, not in fear. How walks a man who died? Friend of old times, what do ye hear? Long fallen at my side. Rise up, rise up, Sir Richard said. The hounds of doom are free. The slayers come to take your head, to hang on the juju tree. Swift feet press the jungle mud, where the shadows are grim and stark. The naked men who pant for blood are racing through the dark. And Solomon rose and bared his sword, and swift as tongue could tell, the dark spewed forth a painted horde like the shadows out of hell. His pistols thundered in the night, and in that burst of flame, he saw red eyes with hate alight, and on the figures came. His sword was like a cobra's stroke, and death hummed in its tune. His arm was steel and knotted oak beneath the rising moon. But by him sang another sword, and a great form roared and thrust and dropped like leaves the screaming horde to ride in bloody dust. Silent as death their charge had been, silent as night they fled. And in the trampled glade was seen only the torn dead. And Solomon turned with outstretched hand, then halted suddenly. For no man stood with naked brand beneath the moonlit tree. Okay, so... uh Huge relief. Turns out just a kid dressed as a Liberty Bell. Oh, oh man. Sound effects and everything. You know, that's a unique costume. Very. <laughs> Did he have... Was, was he cleft? <laughs> oh, 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 God. Yeah, it was, a, it was a historically accurate broken Liberty Bell. Come on, man. jeez. Okay, so... All right. Hey, uh, back to... Uh, on, get, on to Wagner. On to Wagner. Um... 
Again, we threw them out last year. If you have not yet read any Carl Edward yeah. Wagner, go out and find him. He is obscure. I was, I'm going to keep saying obscure because I have yet to run across anybody who knows who this dude is. But in some circles, he is well known. So there's probably people listening who are like, what do you mean nobody's heard of mm-hmm. Carl Edward Wagner? Um, but uh, If you love the spooky, if you love the creepy, and you're not reading Carl Edward Wagner or Robert E. Howard, yeah. get on it, son. Yeah. Son. Yeah, so... Um, He's uh, very much a 70s into the 80s author, um, a lot of kind of pulpy feel kind of stuff. Um, but probably his greatest creation, I would say, is Cain, who yes. is based on the Cain of the Bible, although never um, referenced necessarily as such. He is a wanderer. He is like Duncan MacLeod, we'd said, the Highlander. He's immortal. He travels through through time from, you'd have antediluvian before the flood things, where it feels very kind of mythical, to medieval kind of stuff. Mm. There's future time stuff that he's written about. It's all it's all very cool. So Undertow is the one that we've chosen this time. And this would be taking place, I believe, before the flood. This is like ancient, you know, we're in 10,000 BC when the great civilizations that have slipped from the knowledge of man, uh, that kind of stuff. So we open in a, a necrotorium, a made-up word, I believe, <laughs> In a city called Carsola. What a great word. What a, what, a, what a great phrase for the morgue. Carsoltile. Carsoltile. The it, one it, thing it, I will just, again just, knock just, Carl for is when he goes antediluvian, his right his names for things are hard to say. Yeah, yeah. So even saying, no. if, if, you, if you're waiting for uh, some weird words, just wait until what follows this up in, uh, <laughs> what, what, what is the... Uh, Natharla Hotel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Narcophagi really threw me for a loop. <laughs> so I like that the city is described as having towers that reach up to the sky, uh, but it's rumored that the dark places of the city reach further into the ground. And we open up with this powerful cane uh, who's in a hood and he's looking through the bodies and he's looking for a woman, right? So he's, uh, I mean, I'm picturing him just going in this dark cavern and there's just, you know, bodies just laying everywhere, but he's searching for this one specific woman. That he needs yeah, to and find. just that that typical morgue, that typical like graveyard shift morgue worker. <laughs> like I almost picture the guy is constantly eating a sandwich or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yes, like, yes. All right, well you gave me some coins so you can have whatever dead body you want, guy. Do whatever you want. You're right. There's even the drop in here about <laughs> being in the guard's head, and he talks about uh, I've seen and heard people do some weird stuff with dead bodies, but the coins all good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so this works in two really great what? ways. Um, <laughs> If you've never read anything about Kane before, this is still a really good intro because you're like, okay, so what's this guy looking for bodies for? Mm. But if you know about Kane, you're like, okay, Kane, he's a powerful warrior. He's lived forever. What is he going for bodies for? Right? Like, what is yeah. he? But you know that he's this weird necromancer that's always doing stuff. So, like, you're like, Kane, what, what are you up to? Because Kane, it should be say, is not a good guy. He is morally amb- ambivalent. Yes. Uh, I think uh, last time we spent some time with Kane, he was. Uh Having relations with a vampire mistress. Yeah, yes, he was. Yes, and yes. he's totally cool with it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. He's above humanity, yeah. so he will use humanity to its its own end, his own ends. Um, so we we pop through uh, to chapter one, Seekers in the Night, um, and we 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 meet Grimly Mavrusel. <laughs> We'll just, just call him Grim. Just, just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, Grim, captain of the struggling boat, the Twab. 
Uh, his ship is in for repairs, and his crew, crew has deserted him, and he finds this beautiful girl uh, wrapped up in his sail, and uh, he thinks she might be a whore. So in, a, she, in a ripped party dress. Yeah. So she, he's going to try to pay her off. Like, we get already this this idea of this town, the, who we're dealing with is a very depraved, morally depraved city or whatever, you know. Mm. You yeah, know, and he, made, he does make the comments about, like, before he, like, really looks at her, about, hey, she's not the... Uh, the the toothless the toothless wonders <laughs> that that, that, we, usually, that we usually that get usually, down at the docks. What sort, what sort of toothless wonders are you used to? <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be like two pence right there. <laughs> two pence. Um, her name is never turned down a good gummy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> so her name is Deslin. Now you got me going. I got Deslin even. Deslin even. <laughs> yeah. So she says that she has been hunted by Kane, a man everyone in the city is afraid of. And well, yeah, he's got the Dark Tower. Yeah. I mean, and this yeah. is. I, I almost wonder. Go again. Going back to you know Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost because again this is very, this sounds very much like yeah. uh, Raceland's yeah. Dark Tower. Yeah. Well, he's got exactly the Dark Tower, the mi- Dark Tower in the middle of town over there that nobody goes near. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Although this predates that, so that's great. Maybe no, that's that, no, yeah, that, that's, I know, yeah, that's I what I mean. Yeah. I, exactly. So, but in the end, um, this leather-winged demon comes and claims her. Um, knocks Marvisol down, knocks Marvisol out, and flies away. Yep. And we never see. I love the fact that we never see the demon. No, we never. In this whole book, we don't. So we get this idea of uh, leather wings mm. and stuff, but we never see. Yeah, these. and like the shadow falls into the room, and then he's not, and then he's knocked out, and she she gone. Right. She they're gone. just they're just the minions. So um, then we get to Never Desolin, uh chapter two, and we get a really dark scene here with Kane is preparing this elixir out of a dead girl. So that girl he took from the Necrotorium is like hanging up, he's draining the blood off of her, collecting it in a cup and making some sort of concoction for Desolin to drink. Um, but he says that he loves her and that, uh, and she keeps saying she'll leave him, but she drinks it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Real, real abusey here. Real, yeah. yeah. Real, like, but I love no, this. I'm going to keep you here till you love me. It sets okay. up so many questions, but this I'm doing this because I love you. Yeah. If what, what Carl Wagner does very well is these kind of depraved, dark scenes of, oh, yeah. like, necromancy kind of stuff. He, he does it really well. And you get this, yeah, this crazy love of, you know, hey, drink this. I'm making you this concoction because I love you. Mm. I love you. And you, I don't know. what Did you take anything from this at this time as to what he's doing? Like, wh- did you know what this was Not really be because I, I feel like the last time we had read about Kane, you know, that whole vampire storyline, like, he was trapped somewhere. Yeah. So really, I'm not used to his... Him being in control. His normal day-to-day, you know. <laughs> ne- necromantic... Uh, yeah. Exsanguinating <laughs> bodies, you know. <laughs> that kind of stuff, yeah. And he doesn't always. A lot of times he's just, like, fighting for somebody's army. Okay. And doesn't care. I mean, he's a, very often a mercenary in these stories. Cool. But this time he's taking his place as kind of a necromancer. So, um... So number three at the end of the or chapter three, <laughs> uh, at the end of the blue window, a barbarian from the south named Dragar. Finally, a name that's Dragar. Yeah, you can finally say Dragar. Yeah, he saved Deslin and Ali from being assaulted, and back in the tavern, he boasts that he is not afraid of Cain, and his sword is named Wizard's Bane, and it thrives on the blood of sorcerers. This is totally Conan the Barbarian to me. 
Dragar to oh, me just feels sure. like like because Conan always was like like he never liked magic, but wizards when didn't I, scare him, and he was going to take him. Was this written before Conan? No, the, no, well after Conan, but he Wagner will write Conan yes. stories. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of yeah. my, my thought was maybe this is kind of like where the first ideas of him yeah. popped up, but yeah, I guess no. not. No, but that, just, yeah, him writing stuff later on like. Yeah, I miss Conan. He's, he's writing what he knows. He, <laughs> yeah. he is writing what he... I, I think he's steeped in Howard, and he's just writing what he knows. And, and maybe in some ways sending Howard up. Like, you are kind of got this dumb barbarian character. I'm going to make Dragar that character. Yeah, and they keep referring to him as the barbarian youth. Yeah. Mm. So we get... You, I always did get this oh. picture in here of him of him being that, like, 18, 20-year-old barbarian. Yep. I was like... I kick butt. I, I can never, take on the world. I can take on the world. I can do this. He's, he's naive in, in some ways. Oh, and I have my magical sword that's good against witch, that's good against witches. Right. And I think at this time we are supposed. If you've never read any of this before, we are supposed to think, well, he's going to take down Cain. Like this is our hero. We're going to be with Dragar, and he's going to take Cain down because Cain has weirdly got this girl tied to him through some sort of elixir that she he's warping her with. Right, and so if you've never read any of his stuff, you're going to be like, "Oh, I think he's going to take Kane down." Okay, so at this point, how old do you feel Desolate is? I well, so I'm always taking her because I'm prime from Conan. That they're always in their early twenties. Yeah. They're just like always the typical comic book cover. Yeah, 20s. Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was thinking even younger. Maybe even younger. Of, you yeah. know, old fashioned like pirate. I know this was before that, but like pirates and oh, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking of her like a like a seventeen or eighteen year old. Like oh a, yeah. Oh, see, sure. I was taking her as older. I was taking her as like late twenty, as like late twenties, like a good five to ten years mm. older than Re- Ragnar. Not Ragnar. Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways, it might play better that way because then she would have that kind of older world weary kind of pull over people because you do get this kind of I wouldn't say manipulative we will get that manipulative yeah. aspect of her but like yeah that she yeah, would just I'm going to take this oh I have this young I, there's this young warrior that I can use yeah mm. and I don't know do we get enough from her to know how she plays that is she just playing it like the 18 year old oh there's you know this evil man that's trying to take me uh, or is it that she's older, like I, like you see, said, that see, she's I think older she's and been, cannot. She's been in Kane's control long enough. Yeah, like I feel like it, she's almost been in Kane's control for like a decade. Yeah. Well, I, well, we'll get to I think yeah. how yeah. long we think. But, but yeah. yeah, but especially at the beginning, like she's been under his control for a lot of time. So it's just like, ooh, I have this chance. Ooh, there's a tool. There's our young warrior that uh, maybe yes. maybe if I convince him to actually, I I took yeah. her as as scheming with Dragar right de- away. Okay. She's definitely scheming. She is definitely yes. scheming. Although I think a we're kept, we are kept from that at first. I think we're supposed yes. to think that she is just trying to escape. That she's innocent and she's just trying to escape and get somebody to help. All right. So, but then on to chapter four. A ship will sail. Desolate appears again to Maversol. Uh, she will pay him with a fortune in jewels if he refits his ship and gets her out of there. And I like this. Again, we're getting that whole playing aspect, I think, because now we're seeing, hey, she's playing this young warrior. Mm-hmm. She's also playing the ship's captain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You know, at, at the same time. Although, were you getting the weird time slip that was going on here as to yeah, when I was, in time I was, was a this? I'm just, I'm just wanting more cane. Yeah. 
Like, I feel like we're, this is a very cane light. It's very cane light. But again, I couldn't go anything longer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I do feel that, it, it, again, it adds more mystery to the, especially if you haven't read Howard before. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. And then if you have read it, it's like, okay, so what I know about Kane so far, uh, this isn't going to work out well for anybody. No, no, you know Kane always wins. In the yeah. Book. Um, yeah, so... Which I think, if you know Kane, again, it works in two ways. If you know Kane, this is setting up foreboding. Like, you know both of these guys are dead. You just don't know how. Or, may, or, you may, know, or, maybe, or maybe this yeah, is going to be you know. the one time. Or maybe this is going to be the one time where he loses, where yeah. she gets away, and that like make and that makes him that much more like. Um, oh God! <laughs> I had it. I had the words. Um, <laughs> Use your words. But this is the one time, like, she gets away, and so that makes him that much more hate- hatred of women and, like, all that stuff that yeah, we saw in the, right. va- in the vampire yeah. story from last year where it was just, like, you, he's not a good guy. No, not at all. Not at all. So, um, then, uh, so anyway, he, he takes her, um, and she will give something else as well. So, we get this, again... Deslin's running around and using her sexuality to get things from people, right? Um, and again, this is a, a very um, baldy kind of a novel mm. or story. There's a lot of sexuality going on Yes, here. just, just mm-hmm. a little bit. A little bit. So, we get to Wizard's Bane. Uh, we are back with Deslin and the Dragon. The sword. Yes. Uh, they are making the love. Mm-hmm. And our and the boastful Dragar was not lying. His sword is magical and made from a falling star. Um, cool. And, and, yeah. and so's his body. <laughs> I just magic. This is. Were you thinking this was a double entendre going on? Yes. Here? Oh god. Like, yeah. like, like like his sword is truly magical. Well, there's they're lying in bed ah. with like the L. There's a scene there where they're like lying in bed with the L shaped sheet. Yes, just, there. Just after coitus. Yep. And you don't prance away like a contrite virgin girl. Your rider is dismounted for but a moment's rest, and then he's ready to gallop through the palace <laughs> gates another time. Yeah, it's like right there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gallop, <laughs> gallop through the palace gates. Yeah. yeah your rider like, has dismounted. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um... Man, cool your beans, dude. <laughs> well, but that again, that again gives him that, that young na- nativity. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. for right, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, you get it almost like he's like a sport, like a, like a, like the football guy just laying around going like, don't worry, I'll talk to your dad. <laughs> don't worry about it. You'll be cool. I'll show, I'll show my sword. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but again, when they talk about it from coming from a fallen sword, I think uh, there, this happens a lot in these novels where it's it's kind of your first thing of steel, like mm. like the sword is sub- like you get the idea everybody else is using bronze age weapons and it's forged from a meteorite, so okay. it's, it's a steel sword, and that's why the there's this kind of idea. No, out- Bob, it's cooler than that. It was forged from a meteorite. <laughs> well, there's this weird it's idea. Iridium. There's this weird idea out there that like magic and now obviously not something I believe, but that magic. Is was real at one time during the Bronze Age, right? And that the oncoming of steel, like with the Roman army and everything mm-hmm. else, stopped magic. Like that steel is what like people for ceremonies and whatnot don't use steel. They should use bronze mm-hmm. and copper things, right? I don't know. It's part of this old ancient ritual. So I think he's yeah, playing I, I, I on mean, that. Yeah, yeah pr- probs not, but... Probs not. No. That, that's more, actually, ex- I mean, more exciting to makes believe. Makes sense. Like, words. It is yeah. words. Yeah. We can say that for certain. Actually, actually, he got he, he, he got it when he was on a trip to Africa, and it's made out of vibranium. 
<laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fight brain. Where, where it has, there's a secret country there. Yeah, nobody's, for sure. Nobody's allowed in. <laughs> so, um, night and fog. Um, C- I love Cue the thunder stuff. and lightning. <laughs> and for those of us that, you know, when we have ragged on this show before about chapter titles. Yeah, and I giving think, away. Yeah, and I but I think that I think that here it's done very well with just giving us that that mm-hmm. brief little setup of ooh night and fog. All yeah, right, that's this awesome. is gonna be that's this is gonna awesome. be spooky. Yeah, yeah, because here we see that. Because um, I actually thought that Dragar was lying about this sword, even when he said. But when this demon shows up, his sword does glow with a witch fire, mm-hmm. and and takes out. Takes out this demon, or the demon leaves. Huh. Really the cool. glowing sword, Lord of the Rings, much? Yeah, yeah. Yes, that was the picture. <laughs> Definitely. Are there orcs around? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the sword's name? Oh. Sorry. Oh, now we're because that, that's dumb. You got it. Sting, isn't it? The, sting. Yes, that's the one. Sting. That also, him? a really great artist uh, from, the, <laughs> from the police. Uh, <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I'll be controversial by saying, <laughs> saying I prefer the music of Sting solo to when he was with the police. I'll say it one more time. Get out. <laughs> I could, I could, uh, I could see Sting saying something along the lines of "Your rider has dismounted." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he's into uh, what tantric. You, tantric. Yes. 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 <laughs> you know what? I prefer the wrestler to the artist. So oh, now, now I am going to see Dragar as Sting from. Uh, um, Oh, what, Dune. Dune. From Dune. From Dune. <laughs> He's got a glowing sword. Frank Herbert's Dune. Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, we're doing that later on. All right, so um, he'll have to... No, what, where am I at? You, I'm all screwed up. Uh, not, would you say you need to send out an Night and Fog, yeah. So. Would you say you need to send out an Clop, Yeah, clop, clop. Yeah, because I even have that. Great scene. You can get out, too. Okay, I'm coming in. Okay. So we have a great scene here with the uh, clop, clop, clop of Cain's approaching horse because it, it creates now this tension. Like, the demon has come, Dragger's used his sword, um, but now we're having the final confrontation that we've been waiting for for the last ten pages. <laughs> <laughs> but here yeah, I, don't, just, I, don't, I don't mind it. I, lo- I love this Just this an stuff. eerie setup. There's nobody on the streets. It doesn't seem like there's anybody left in the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just the clop, clop. Clop of the horse as the horse, and he's not like galloping in. He's right. just, it's just Kane. He's just moseying on in. He's on Kane time. Yeah, <laughs> but what I love is Kane just bashes through the door oh. here. But he gives. And you know the cobblestones are just wet. Yeah. Foggy. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Foggy. Like you get harbor tone. Yes. That harbor tone, like almost a little thwap to the clops. Yes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, uncharacteristic for Kane, it feels to me anyway. He he gives Dragar his chance. He's mm. like. Get away from her. She's used you. You know, she does this all the time to men. I don't want to kill you. She know? doesn't love you. She's using you to hurt me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a little uh, uncharacteristic of Kane. More more Solomon Kane than yeah. Kane. Yeah, for sure. So, in, in this hesitation, uh, though, anyway, Kane attacks. Um, and there's quite the fight that mm-hmm. goes, in, goes on. I, I really like this. Um... But in the end, Dragar is stabbed uh, through the, the ribs. Dragar. 
And we find out that Desolin, like he said, has done this often. Mm-hmm. Um, she's always getting men to try to free her. And she learned about the magical sword and, and paid him for the assault. So everything we've just read was all manipulation mm-hmm. by Desolin. The old setup. Yeah. Heard that there's this young punk in town has got a wizard's bane sword. I'm going to go yes. manipulate him. And set up my escape with the other guy on the ship. You know, ding, ding. and I, 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 is it, is it Ragnar that, I'm not Ragnar, I keep calling him Ragnar. Dragar. <laughs> Dragar. Is it, is it Dragar that his dying word is just to look up at her and say, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Again, a great flip because you think there's going to be some sort of like, you I love know, you. I love you. Beeb. I love you, Beeb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just dying is fun. She's like, oh my God, I, I, I never meant for this to happen. I wasn't doing it. He's lying. He's lying. And he just looks up at her and goes, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's great. But we're on to uh, seven. He will have to die. Uh, Marcival and Desalyn are back in the boat. Their plan is to sn- uh, uh, to plan out a sneak attack on Cain. Mm-hmm. That after a ritual, he is tired, and they will strike then. And Desolin will get him into the tower. And Desolin is to get the courage to stab Cain from behind. I love this Pretty because dang. at this point, I feel like even even our author is not playing it that this is going to work. He's kind of mm-hmm. playing it like, yeah, There's, already there, we there feel isn't, there isn't a lot of suspense written well into this no I, I don't i don't feel really i see on this one i was getting a very fatalistic feel where you're starting to i guess where if i felt tension i felt it is desolin going to be true to her word mm. like now we found out with dragar that yeah she does do this to hurt kane yeah she plays this all the time and now you what i like is how you see that uh maversal is like gung-ho like okay Okay, I'm experienced. We can do this. You, you know, yeah, I'm you not a up, kid. You, yeah, you can sneak up, stab him in the back. You're going to do this, right? You got this. You're going to do this. And the way she's answering, you kind of get the feeling like, no, she doesn't. She's not going to help you. Did you get confused by the couple times here we get these couple, I don't know if they're supposed to be telepathic or it's supposed to be a conversation. Desalyn's talking with Kane. Or what it is, but I think it's time jumps. Yeah, it gets this Mm -hmm. weird little. We get a couple spaces in here where it's It's even in italics. I think like she's telling this story. All of a sudden, we feel like she's telling the story to another person now, or she and Kane are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it's, I don't know if it's supposed to be that it's conversations they have had about previous times she's tried this, Mm -hmm. or or what times that the. In interstitial times, because I do feel that, I mean, the thing with Dragar and this thing with um, Maversal is happening at different times. But for a while, we've been cutting between them like they're happening mm-hmm. at the same time. But they're they're not, I don't believe, unless I was reading something wrong. And a great, there's a great reference here, too, at the end of 6. I know we jumped into 7 yeah, here, but the end, end of 6, where um, it's just the, how many times, Desalyn, have you played at Lorelei? And that's that's a deep. Uh, Lorelai is like a uh, she's a water spirit. She's a mer- she's like a siren. Right. Also oh, a song yeah, by yeah. Styx. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you drop the uh, sorry eighties pop artist seventies? <laughs> I think that's from seventy eight, but I'm not sure. But I just, I just that that really stuck out for me, and I'm like, oh, that that was really the turning point for me. Yeah. Like, uh she's just gonna get everybody killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to go on Kane's side here by this point, going, okay, yeah, she's she's using him too. But and I, why is he keeping her around if she's this much trouble? He's, yeah. he's got to make this elixir for days. <laughs> that evidently, and I was thinking that the elixir was gonna be like like a uh, like a magical wireless fence. 
Yeah, that's what I think we're supposed to believe the whole time. Is yeah. that he's keeping her to him with this elixir that is, yeah, somehow marries her to him mm. in a way. That's not what's going on, which I love this end. Drinks, drink the final cup. Cain uh, and Desolin are in the tower. Cain is doing his whole draining blood from people again. Um, and he's just so conversational with a lot of this. Yeah. Like it's just <laughs> yeah, like, like he's in the he's in the middle of he's in the middle of draining the essence out of this corpse or whatever he's doing. And it's just like, so you're uh you're acting kind of funny tonight, dear. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> what I, okay, what I, what I love though is is the use of the description here in this final chapter, because we get the le- little bit of Cain and his immortality mm-hmm. and how he views this, because again we have this eviscerated girl hanging that he's draining blood from to keep her alive and he likens it to flowers right like that what you know if i could just keep one flower alive what is it that hundreds die if i Mm. can keep one flower alive which i thought was uh i think that's very very good for the character i mean you know he's like like ageless immortal yeah and i've been and i've been tortured so much in my life Mm -hmm. why can't i just have one flower yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah. deserve a flower. Even his vampire mistress didn't, couldn't hang around long enough for him. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. So, um, but Mav- uh, we do have, while this whole thing is going on, that Maversol sneaks in, right? Um, and, he, and appears to Old hurl Mav. Da- Old Mav. Appears to hurl his dagger, spilling the elixir. And in the fight, Desalyn stabs Kane in the shoulder. So she does try to come. And Kane's Kane's more upset about the elixir being sp- about losing the elixir that he lo- <laughs> that he spent so much time working on. Yeah. Oh, I got to make another batch of this crap. Yep. She stabs him in the shoulder, and he's still just like, "Oh, I got to make another batch of this stuff." <laughs> you know how much time that took me. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm not, mad, I'm, not ma- I'm not necessarily mad at you for trying to kill me. But right. do you know how much time and work it took to make that drink? <laughs> yeah. But wasn't it you just Claude that was just saying like, why, why would you even keep her around if it's this much work? And that's that's what I feel like was happening here. You get an idea like this is too much work, and he's letting her go. Like, okay, let let her go off with Maversol. But then what happens? <laughs> well, then all right. So she gets on the boat. They take off. They have a little boot scene. Yeah, yeah. have a little boot scene. He wakes up in the morning wrapped in a corpse. Yeah. yeah, twist to the story. Uh, I, I really like that. She's, yeah, she's hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. We don't know. And we've all been, we've we, we've all had that those mornings where we wake up and go, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, God. <laughs> whoa. Wait, what kind of corpse is draped over me? Exactly. Well, yeah, but it's not a corpse. That's the point. Most of the time. Um, and if it is, you hide it quickly. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this again. Get out. <laughs> Can you imagine being the other guys on this boat, though? Yeah. Like, oh, hey, yeah. boss. Where's your uh, Where's your lady friend that was with you? Yeah. What's in the sheet? Uh, yeah, <laughs> What's in the sheet? You're throwing just, over. Yeah. The, throw it over the side. Shut up and throw yeah. it overboard. <laughs> real seasick. She got real seasick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so seasick. So seasick. She died. The yeah. moldering corpse of a long dead girl. And so it does give you that feel too of how long has this been going on? Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. How long has Kane been had her in had her in his grasp? Yeah. Did he kill her? Was it the first? You know, I love all the open questions here. Yeah. Did he kill her? Was this the? Um, did she die and then he brought her back? You know, what's going on yeah. with all this? Yeah, I, I feel like he, it's somebody that uh, he has loved. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, and he's trying to keep her alive. And and there's it, it could be hundreds if 
who knows how many years he's been doing. And there's got to be some sort of memory wipe here that he magically did too, in right. order for her to not know. Right. Well, I I think isn't it said that she loved she comes back and 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 you know her her memory is fuzzy in a lot of the times, oh, and she right. remembers you know like it was like waking a, a recurring nightmare or something, and there right. were others. Right. So I feel like the way I looked at it is the beginning. That's him back at the morgue finding her again mm. because the, is it Maversal, the captain, yeah. um, tears the thing off her neck because remember she they're talking about the, ha- the person who's hanging themselves. So yeah. she hung herself the first time yes. to get away from him. Now yeah. he's keeping her alive. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Oh, I Actually, I think that is. Yeah. Well, I, always think I, I, have, that I have not read. I've ne- never met Kane before. In my life. So this is. <laughs> you know, you never do. So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. So that, you know, I'm reading this kind of fresh without I, yeah. knowing that before. <laughs> Going like, <laughs> nice what is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come that, on over here. Actually, I think that's that's actually really good because I thought that girl that he took was who he was draining in that next scene. But I think you're right. Yeah, she mm-hmm. had tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. No, once you yeah. said that, that I remember thinking mm-hmm. that at yep. the end of this, going, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's really that's really good." It just keeps bringing her back and bringing her back. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I again for such a short story, it's not very long at all, but it mm-hmm. sets up kind of an entire insulated little world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I thought awesome. it did, totally did awesome. a really good job. So. Um, all right, but that that is a little Carl Edward Wagner on this creepy right. Halloween. We should, uh, we, should, we should come back and do some longer. Uh, either let's do something longer for sure. Either Wagner or Howard. Throw it oh, on the calendar somewhere. Oh yeah, there's Dark Crusade Ooh. by Wagner is a long one that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, love, I love this stuff. It's awesome. yeah. Oh, okay, we'll we'll definitely have to get some on the on the. On the dock. This, this, is, this is just for me. Listeners, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you like it because we're know. doing it. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm seeing over there on the hill, they're starting to light up the wicker man. So um, we should probably wrap things up here pretty quick. Did you bring your oils and incense? Uh, yes. Uh, my, are they essential? Oh, I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> They hold him to the crossroads. As day was at its close, they hung him to the gallows and left him for the crews. As hands and life were bloody, his ghost will not be still. He haunts the naked moors about the Gebel. And oft a lonely traveler is found upon the fen whose dead eyes hold a horror beyond the world of men. The villagers then whisper with accents grim and dour this man has met at midnight the phantom of the moon. Well, we have our ritual garb on, and we're ready to go out the door with our incense and spices, our athame, athames, Thanos. Um, whatever the what are you the ritual just, daggers? You just don't and genocide. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, but we have one quick uh, piece for you from one of our favorites, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Um, Shannon, uh, do you have any experience with H.P. Lovecraft? What do you know? 
I know nothing of H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft, but I would love to know more. Yeah, yeah. Like, if there is a pronunciation primer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your first exposure to it? Yes. yes oh, I am sorry. There's much better things we could have... Uh, oh, we did a, a, color, a Color Out of Space last year. Which was great. Uh, yeah, yes. one okay. of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, I'm going to point out the, the rushed nature in some ways. We just kind of quickly picked stuff. And I'm like, oh, Natharla Hotep. Sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Never looked at it until I printed everything off. We got... Isn't there this whole thing about don't judge a book by... Uh, what's it? Uh, cover. But the title should also be... <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, um, Natharla Hotep. This has to be great. I mean, it's some sort of yeah. Egyptian kind yeah. of mummy thing. No, no, I was right there with you. It sounded so Super cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and not we're not saying it's not cool, but I think it nestles itself so much into the whole Cthulhu Elder mm. God thing that Lovecraft did and that people are into that you have to be about 10 levels deep into Cthulhu mythos to mm. start picking out things to care about this. It, I mean, even, even, if, even if you aren't and you're just sort of familiar, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of just, like, Googling Nitharlohotep and seeing, like, where he fit into the Elder God right. universe. So if you've never never looked at H.P. Lovecraft, um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, a lot of what he wrote, not everything, but there's a lot of it that fits into what they call the Cthulhu mythos, which is ba- basically this overarching idea that there's all these, like, elder gods mm-hmm. that don't care about humans. Um, and just, just for uh, n- n- oh, that name, Nitharlahotep um, is a son of Azathoth which I believe makes him like at least a half-brother of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. So it's... If my mythos is correct, we'll which probably, probably get, not. We'll get like all kinds of corrections from people. Please. But his first appearance, uh, 1920, he was described as tall and a swarthy man, which is what mm. we... But we find out as we read more Cthulhu mythos stuff that he's actually... That's just like an aspect... Yep. Of him, but he tends to be the bringer. Projection. He's the person here on Earth that can act in a, like a physical form while the other gods are sleeping mm. or out in the cosmos doing whatever. So that's all weird weirdness, but um, awesomeness. Awesomeness. I mean, super awesomeness. But again, if there is something cool about this, it's it gives it that 1920s Indiana Jonesy kind of you know British feel of like, hey, there's this guy, uh, this Egyptian dark man. You know, mm-hmm. I thought of the Hotep, and I went to a light show that he was putting on down at the museum. Yes. Some <laughs> lost in the cosmos. Opening for Pink Floyd. Nitharla <laughs> Hotep. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. There's got to be a black metal band called Nitharla Hotep. Oh, oh my God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to look it up. I'm just going to say yes there. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't even look it up. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually HP and the Nitharla Hoteps. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, there is a band. Uh, told you. <laughs> I told you. Uh, from Reading, Mass- Reading, Reading, Massachusetts. Not to be confused with the ambient black metal band Nyarlathotep from Engleville, Tennessee, or the black doom metal band <laughs> Nyarlathotep from South Orange, New Jersey. This, yeah, don't get this is the band of yeah. This is the band. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, how, how dare you? First of all, even suggest yeah, that. Yeah, that. No, this is too good. This is a band, a band of Mike Gunface McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> so there you oh. go. So if you're looking up in the Tharla Hotep, we've got it, three that, bands like, to choose uh, from. Uh, what's uh, uh, Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy 2, like, 
taser face. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Gunface. Gunface. Mike Wait, you Gunface picked, McKenzie. You could have picked any name, and you went with Gunface. Gun <laughs> I want. I want to see a picture of Mike Gunface because I want to know. Does he have like? Is he like, have like a long nose? Is it a barrel or is he like pocked? So is one of like his eyes completely cl- closed constantly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's always <laughs> you know, you, I mean, you know how you look down the barrel of a gun and you're aiming, and one eye is closed. That's what it that, is. That's exactly that's what, what I'm trying to say. But I'm. He's like, not dark kinda. at all. It's just a skinny guy with glasses who keeps walking around, going doing finger guns to everybody. <laughs> actually, uh, hey, guys, I, hey guys, just our new band, the Harlotho Tip. Actually, old old Mike McKenzie Gunface <laughs> actually just looks like uh, one of the singers from Dropkick Dropkick Murphys. Oh. He's just got a big beard. Um, and he's growling into a mic here, so there, well, there you go. There you oh. go, Mike. So meanwhile, back at Natharla Hotel. You can so you can listen to Natharla Hotel while yeah, reading. Yeah, so we have, we have done Natharla Hotel as kind of just uh, ambient. Uh, hey, listen to this reading. One of the most Ooh. challenging any, things other I've read. Any other dramatic reading? Yeah, yeah just so you know, trying to figure it out for me was I yeah. I could listen to it again and again. Yeah, just so you know, Luke's uh, Luke's version of it is fantastic, but just know as smooth as it sounds. That thing was edited like Bob, thin, Bob is a thin, thin sliced pepper, like a snack it, it, of pepperonis. I mean, there, there were there were there were some points where I was just like fumbling, but like stumbling upon the word narcophagi, like I've never seen that in my life. There are literally parts where I think it's two words spliced with two words spliced with two words. Nobody asked you. Bob. No, you did you did, a, you did a fantastic job on this edit. I. This was a challenge for yeah, sure right. to put together, but is that I will we'll, uh, we'll leave you with that on the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming to Spooktacular too. Exactly. Yeah. Electric boogaloo. Electric. You no, know you can't electric boogaloo this. <laughs> no. And thank you, well, Shannon, Electric for boogaloo. being here yes, yeah. with us on this spooky night. <laughs> it was an experience. I hope everybody liked it. It was it's an experience. No, we're not done yet. You can take your hand off the door. We got we got just a little bit left. You don't oh. have to run away yet. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to stay in this basement a little bit longer. <laughs> Um, Give me the elixir. Uh, Give me the elixir. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Have a seat. What's happened to him, Bean? It looks like your mind's been positively blasted. I've been on an adventure. An adventure? I I, just came back from Cairo. Yes, I need ale. Quick, Barky, get him an ale. An ale. Tell us all, Bean. All right. Uh, Sit down. Let me tell you a tale. Nyarlathotep, the crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audience void. I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a dangerous widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of night. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abysses between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. There was a demonic alteration in the sequences of the seasons, 
The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world, perhaps the universe, had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. And it was then that Nyarlathotep came out of Egypt. Who he was, no one could tell, but he was of the old native blood and looked like a pharaoh. The Felahin knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He said he had risen up out of the blackness of 27 centuries, and that he had heard messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization came Nyarlathotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal and combining them into instruments yet stranger. He spoke much of the sciences, of electricity and psychology, and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away speechless, yet which swelled his fame to exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Nyarlathotep and shuddered, and where Nyarlathotep went, rest vanished, for the small hours were rent with the screams of nightmare. Never before had the screams of nightmare been such a public problem. Now the wise men almost wished they could forbid sleep in the small hours, that the shrieks of cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against a sickly sky. I remember when Nyarlathotep came to my city, the great the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes. My friend had told me of him, and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. My friends said they were horrible and impressive beyond my most feared imaginings, that what was thrown on a screen in the darkened room prophesied things none but Nyarlathotep dared prophesy and that in the sputter of his sparks there was taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet which showed it only in the eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Nyarlathotep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Nyarlathotep through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room. And shadowed on a screen, I saw hooded forms amidst ruins and yellow evil faces peering from beyond fallen monuments. And I saw the world battling against blackness, against the waves of destruction from the ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and hair stood up on end, whilst shadows more grotesque than I can tell came out and squatted on the heads. And when I, who was colder and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about the imposture and static electricity, Nyarlathotep drave us all out, down the dizzying stairs, into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud, that I was not afraid, that I never could be afraid, and others screamed with me for solace. 
we swore to one another that that city was exactly the same and still alive. And when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over again and laughed at the queer faces we made. I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon. For when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious, involuntary formations and seemed to know our destination, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavement and found the blocks loose and displaced by grass, with scarce a line of rusted metal to show where the tramways had run. And again we saw a tram car, lone, windowless, dilapidated, and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon, we could not find the third tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in a different direction. One disappeared into a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of shocking moan. Another filed on a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with the chill which was not of the hot autumn. For as we stalked out of the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish moon glitter of evil snows. Trackless, inexplicable snows, swept asunder in one direction, only where lay a gulf all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf. I lingered behind for the black rift in the green-litten snow was more frightful, and I thought I had heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished. But my power to linger was slight. As if beckoned by those who had gone before, I half floated between titanic snowdrifts, quivering and afraid, into the sightless vortex of the unimaginable. Screamingly sentient, dumbly delirious, only the gods that we can tell a sickened, sensitive shadow, writhing in hands that are not hands, and world blindly past ghastly midnights of rotting creation. Corpses of the dead worlds with sores that were cities, carnal winds that brush the pallid stars of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath space and reach up to dizzy vacua, above the spheres of light and darkness, and through the revolting graveyard of the universe, the muffled, maddening beating of drums and thin, monstrous whine of blasphemous flutes. From inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time, the detestable pounding and piping, whereon to dance slowly, awkwardly and absurdly, the gigantic, tenebrous ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless, gargoyles whose soul is Nyarlathotep. So, but hey, uh, happy Halloween to all of you. Thanks for uh, downloading and giving a listen. Hopefully this uh, gave you a little something to do uh, on the drive home while you're getting the kids suited the up kids for tonight. Or, or like maybe you're playing and pausing it while they're running to the door and getting candy and coming back to the car. Who knows what's <laughs> We going can on only here. hope that people actually do that. Uh, <laughs> hey, yes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, thanks yeah. for stopping by. Uh, happy Samhain. 
Hit us up on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, talk to us about some of your favorite spooky stories, some of your favorite spooky stuff. Also, again, back into the books that we're reading. As but we're not too spooky because we are all mandatory reporters. <laughs> so, so don't. Like, not too spooky. Just tell us vague stuff. <laughs> Watch out awesome. for those open closets. Yes, for Ooh. sure. Spade yeah, fingers. And Luke, you may want to unchain that woman over there. Spade uh, fingers. It's an audio podcast. You didn't have to bring that up. I could have gotten away. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would have seen it. Thanks. Hey, Air the Empire Part 2 coming soon. We'll see you there. All right. Hate. Let's get a couple more beers and let's go trick-or-treating ourselves. Yeah. This is the night. This is the night. Garfield. Oh, oh God. Alright, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had on our website, dungeonsanddweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at dungeonsanddweebs.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, Please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons & Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, royaltyfreekings.com. Dungeons & Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert media production. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written permission of Tim Gilbert Media. 